today with Jim Deal. Jim Deal, I like to think of him as a pioneer of the strength and conditioning program at the University of British, uh, the University, sorry, of British Columbia. Uh, he's the head strength coach there. He's also the founder of Compound Conditioning and now a photographer and producer. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Cool. Um, so in that little intro, I think we know a little bit about what you do, but we don't know who you are. So I'd like to go back, like, uh, elementary school gym. What was he like? What was his habits? You know, what did he oh, do? Oh, man, elementary school gym. Uh, too much energy. Uh, I was born in Kamloops, just outside of Kamloops, in the interior, and uh, grew up on some land. We had 60 acres. Three older sisters, so it was good. It always kept me in check. Yeah. I got beat up by women until I was old enough not to. Okay. And uh, taught me a lot of respect, taught me a lot of respect for women and life and all these things. And then, yeah, was in Kamloops till I was 19 and then moved to Victoria for a year. Nice. And then moved to, uh, to Vancouver, and all for university, just kind of also getting out of the small town, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's interesting on that intro just kind of hearing – you know, hearing the things that you've done and, you know, kind of what you're known for amongst different circles of people, right? Right. Because one of the feelings I've had lately is how quickly life is moving. Like, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that this year is almost half over. Unbelievable. When it feels like January, pretty much. The weather always feels like January in Van, but yep. just in general, right? So, but, um, yeah, the, the majority of my life I was known as a strength conditioning guy. You know, that was kind of my life. Like, when I was younger... You know, I boxed, I was into powerlifting, uh, tons of time snowboarding, like snowboarding was my life for 10 years or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. then really getting into heavily into weightlifting and powerlifting. And that's kind of, you know, that's how I met a lot of people at UBC. And that's kind of what I got known for. And I started working with some guys that were, you know, in the CFL. And I was training under a guy named Peter Twist in, in North Vancouver. So I was oh, yeah. working with a bunch of NHL guys then. Uh, that's uh, Twist Conditioning? Twist Conditioning, yeah. yeah. Cool. So I was just inundated with it and anything I do my personality is very OCD in its own way mm-hmm. so I just I get obsessed you know yeah um, and uh, I actually had this talk with someone where they're kind of talking they're like oh you're not you're not really into the strength and conditioning thing as much anymore and I still work with a few key people I don't really advertise I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of social media you know I don't share too much about my life but yeah. it's funny and I was you know we had that conversation I was like well I I probably I still work out every single day. I still work with pro athletes, and I still probably read for an hour and a half a day on the subject. Right. So, so you're it's still all, improving your craft. Right? Still improving your craft and yeah. still being a part of it, and it's still something I love. But it's like anything. You go so hard for so long, and then you just step back, and you're just kind of like, that was a lot, mm-hmm. right? And so many good things and so many good people. And, you know, it kind of well, – I was going to UBC, and I was doing my uh, kinesiology degree and working with pro athletes and working under Pete and um, – it was kind of things were growing for me, and then when I graduated, I always knew I just never wanted to work for anybody. That was kind of something that was inundated in who I was. Mm-hmm. So the day, three days before graduation, I just quit, which is a pretty funny thing because most people graduate and then are like, "Awesome, I've got this career opportunity," yeah. and I was being offered opportunity, and I was just like, "No, no thanks." So I think I got my first business license like a couple days after I graduated mm-hmm. from UBC, and then um, just kept building the roster, and at the same time. I was approaching UBC about building essentially an American-style like NCAA strength and conditioning program, yeah. which didn't exist in Canada. And what year was this? This is like... Oh, man. What year was that? Like I think 2010? It was, I think it was 2009 that I graduated yeah. university. 
That's crazy that there was no formal strength conditioning. No, previously. I think it was Laval that had something, but they were all yeah. privately funded. Right. And that was how that kind of worked out. Yeah. But it's still a tough business model for these schools because they just don't, they don't get 60,000 students at games right. or 40,000 or 20,000, you know, it is what it is. And it's just a different model. Like one of the biggest differences that we always highlighted was in Canada, it's student athletes and in the States it's. Yeah. varsity athletes varsity right athletes. Yeah. or or whatever but um yeah and i had a lot of people just like we all do like whenever you do something like that you have a lot of people buy in on you yeah which is an amazing thing and as one hopes they do when people buy into you 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 really get that that push right because the last thing you want to do is someone invest in you and then you let them down yeah especially so young when you're just building something and you're so excited about it but even at the time when that happened, it didn't feel like it happened very quickly. Like it, it happened, it felt like it wouldn't happen. Yeah. You know, just like most things. What do they say? Like usually the time that most people quit is right before it would have happened. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that feeling. So it's an interesting point too. Like you talk about, um, you know, they don't have like the 60,000 people in the stands. It's not that they don't as a school have the money to fund these programs. It's that they want to see a return on investment and there's really no return there. So when they look at like canceling yeah. teams or whatever it is, like it's that Canadian versus American difference. It's like people aren't as like sport oriented at the college level to where they want to make a weekend out of going to watch the football game or the hockey game. So like those extra things or what seems to be extra in Canadian sports, strength and conditioning program, ridiculous to me because it's so necessary, right? But they're 100%. looking at it and they're like, this is way too expensive. What's the return on this? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like if you look at, you know, certain schools in the US or, you know, big sports schools, sometimes the most profitable part of the university is their sports programs. Correct. But they didn't get that where that that way just it wasn't like a turnkey setup. It was, you know, sports weren't a big part for a long time and then it kept growing and it's it's like anything. It's like the studio we're in. Mm-hmm. Most companies get into a studio before they can afford a studio. Yeah. But if you don't do the studio, you probably won't grow to where you need to be. So it's, it was, um, Teresa Hansen was a big part of that. She was, um, the, uh, assistant athletic director at the time. And she's just a hustler and amazing human being. Yeah. And, you know, now looking back on how much stuff she had to go through to get that done is pretty incredible. Like the weight she put on her shoulders. And to be honest, most people that are on salary with those kind of jobs, like when you're young, you hear these numbers and you're like, Whoa, yeah. that's what they make. And you're like, well, now really it's actually not that great. And the yeah. amount of stuff they go through. But um, I really felt like I was, you know, like the first weight room I had at UBC, it started out when they basically said, we can allow you to train varsity teams, but we don't have anything to pay you with. So you have to build the teams individually. So I built them like very low rates. But we have a weight room. And it was funny, it flooded like all winter. So like oh, you man. basically like dry out the weight room is this shitty little, it was, um, it was in the stadium. It was one of those like small rooms at the stadium, right? Okay. And it wasn't that small. It was, I maybe had like four Olympic lift, five Olympic lifting stations and then a little bit more area. And, and you just make it work, right? Like yeah. we always made it work. Um, and then as things grew and teams bought in, it became bigger and bigger and then more teams were on board. And then eventually it was an interesting situation because then eventually they were able to offer me a salary. It was a very low salary. And, and on top of that, I could build teams. So it was kind of like mm. they had a way of being like, okay, now you're like a little bit safer. So you have something coming in. Yeah. But it still was like, but at the time it was great. You know, you're like, whatever, I was 25 years old. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I lived with three guys in a cool spot. That was when you could still get cheap rent in Vancouver. Yep. So we're like kind of living the dream. It was super fun. Of course. Yeah. Um, 
but it was also an interesting time, like dealing with teams that like strength and conditioning wasn't mainstream. It wasn't yeah. like there was coaches that are like, why do we need to do strength and conditioning? Yeah. And in that's 2009. Yeah. In 2009. Right. So it's, it's like a super interesting thing. And it was like, it, it was that time when you'd watch a personal trainer and even a decent personal trainer was like horrible by today's standards. Right. Obviously there was some amazing strength, strength and conditioning coaches then and some amazing personal trainers, but just the yeah. average, because the, the ability to get knowledge was just, it wasn't there. Yeah. Right. And, and, and kind of in a lot of ways, the inevitable happened, which is old Eastern block training methods yep. became mainstream because they worked and it was, there was so many people that tried to fight it and tried to do this. And eventually it's like, yeah, like my view was always, I was always using techniques that were invented 40, 50 years ago mm-hmm. and then are still pertinent to today. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting one because I, I've been thinking about that a little bit lately because I think it is time to like, it is important to look back on those things when you're trying to accomplish new things and because we do get very impatient. We're a very impatient culture, I feel mm-hmm. like, right? Especially with the world being so instantaneous and and this obsession with comparison, which is so, like we're so inundated with comparison now, even if we don't think we are. Like what's the first thing most people do? They go on social media and all people do is show how awesome they are. Yep. Which is like, ironically, we live at a time when people are the most depressed they've probably ever been mm-hmm. and the most broke they've ever been, right? And so it's just, it, it's a really interesting thing to kind of think about processes and to think about how hard it is actually to build something that's worth building. Yeah. Like, and you know, sometimes you have to look at the things that you've done really well in order to realize what the things in your life now need, like what spark. Cause in a lot of ways, as we get older, we're better at most things, Yeah. but there is certain things that fall behind. And I think, I think the beauty of being young is that you're, you just have unlimited energy as yeah. long as you can direct it. Because I found I was like a nuclear explosion. I was like, right. if there's not something positive to put energy into, it was like going everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so it's got nothing positive. Let's grab a bunch of booze and have a bunch of people over. And, you know, like we've all done, right? Yeah. But, yeah, and it was, no, it was an amazing thing. And then um, I reached a point. I kind of set some metrics when I started all of that of where I wanted to be. And at that time, also, I began working with uh, the National Swim Program. And I was working with their Olympians. And. We did some really cool things. We set some national records. And so I was kind of doing two things and I had compound conditioning still, but I just eventually UBC wanted me to stop that just because there's so much other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But inevitably you get to a cap where you're like, okay, I've built something. Like it never felt like a job. Like Teresa was so amazing and that whole team because they let me do, like I would get a concept, I would build it out mm-hmm. or build out the concept and then go, can I do this? And then they'd maybe push back on 10%. Yeah. So it was so cool. I basically felt like I was self-employed but had a safety net. Yeah. Which is a really rare thing, right? Yeah. Um, And then, you know, as things do, like UBC changed a lot. And I don't think for the worst. I just think different. You know, like it just became something that was much more structured. And my financial ceiling became very stern. Like before it was like, I can do, I can keep going, I can keep going. And then eventually they're like, this is it. And I was like, this is it? Yeah. But I built it. Not that they care because they just needed it done, right? Yep. Um, and and you, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, if I built this, well, I can build something else. Totally. You know, and I've always been like a very metric-focused person, which is, I think, what made me a great strength coach, right? Mm-hmm. And I always said about most things, you know, I said this about strength and conditioning, and I now believe this about a lot of things, is, you know, when you're younger maybe or whoever, I felt like this anyways, if I did something a certain way, that was probably the way to do it because I would try and figure out the best way. Yep. But as I got older, I realized 
as long as someone can do something and get a result they say they were going to do, I don't really care how they do it, as long as obviously it's ethical and all, all of those things, right? right? But you do realize that there's a bunch of different ways to do something. And like, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting to kind of get to that point and be like, okay, like they want to have a different structure in place now. And mm-hmm. that just, I've never been someone who was super big on structure because I never even felt like I had a boss. Yeah. Like I felt like I had a team that would give me guidance by people that were more developed. So yeah, one day I just set a meeting with Teresa and I was like, she's like, what's going on? And I was like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I was like, I want to thank you for everything. It was really positive. And she's like, really? Where are you going? She's like, I think she said something about like, are you going to work for so-and-so? I was like, no, you're probably the last boss I'm ever going to have. Yeah. And then I went full tilt on my own company and that did really well. And then, um, eventually I sold that and just kind of did things on a smaller scale. I've, I've been working a lot in production and photography since then. Yeah. Um, and then I brought on a business partner and we now have a gym that, uh, we work on. I'm more behind the scenes guy. Mm-hmm. I work with a few clients, a few high level athletes, um, just keeping my like passion there. And sometimes I rev it up when I miss it. And yep. sometimes I pull back when I'm burnt out on it, but it's a pretty interesting place to be in. Actually, it just feels weird. I don't know how you guys feel at all about this, but it feels like the days of normal jobs are done. Mm. Like, remember when, yep. you know, you were young and your dad's buddy worked at the mill and he had a nice house and two cars and three kids yeah. and that was it. And then you hit 55 and he peaced out and he retired. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah. you're kidding. Right. 55. Now it's like people are 55 and they're just starting. Yeah. Let me, let me bring you back for a second. You said yeah. you were 25, right? Yeah. It wasn't like maybe one formal strength conditioning program in the whole of CIS. It's called the U sport. Now I think that's ridiculous. I'm gonna call it the CIS, but, um, what, you spoke on like the strengths of, you know, being that age and kind of having, maybe it's like a, a, a lack of knowledge or this freedom of your youthfulness to say, hey, like I'm going to take this job and I'm going to make it my own. And yeah. it's like my own business. Where do you think are the advantages of being 25? And like, what were the loop or, or sort of like the setbacks you had to face in relation to your age and kind of being new in this, like, what is kind of a corporate space, like the university landscape? Yeah, you know, and that's an interesting one because I've thought a lot about that. Um, I think the biggest thing about being young is you're incredibly naive. Mm -hmm. And and I I don't, that's, you know, it doesn't mean you're not intelligent. It doesn't mean you're not a lot of things, but you just don't know about the world. You can, and you know, I was, at that time also, I was super politically motivated. I was, you know, doing everything I could to educate myself. Like it was like Democracy Now! Every Morning and Chomsky and all these. So, you know, you're just taking in so much information, but yeah. you just, you don't realize that you don't have the capacity to dissect it. And in the same way, a 50-year-old would say that about someone my age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was such a blessing because you can go so hard on something and you just, you're almost naive about the fact that it'll work and often it'll work just because you don't, you don't doubt yourself. Yeah, you just keep going. And even when you do, you're like, well, I got nothing else going on. And your overheads usually, unless, unless you're, you know, make some stupid mistakes, like get an expensive car early on or something. Yeah. It's like my overhead was like nothing. Like I could probably live off 1200 bucks a month. Yeah. So it's great. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. I think, you know, every part of your life has kind of those benefits, right? Where it's like, like what's a really good ex- expression that I've, I heard? What is it? Even a fool gets to be young once, mm-hmm. which is like, yeah, like you, you don't because you, cause when you're 25, any sort of responsibility in your life seems so far down the road. Yeah. Right. You even look at a 35 year old and you're like, 
like he owns a house. People are buying houses. Yeah. This is insane. And then you hear about your one friend who like stayed in Kamloops and started a company when he was 18 and now he has like a family and you're like, you kind of thought it was stupid almost. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You're not in the city. You're not partying with us. You're building a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think, I think being young is a beautiful thing for that. Like, you know, that like, like naive, I almost mean that as an endearing term. I don't mean that as a derogatory. Yep. It's being naive can be one of the most beautiful things you look at. You listen to a lot of successful people talk and it's like, would you have done it if you knew how much shit you ended up shoveling? Like if someone told me like, you're not going to make money for three years or two and a half years Mm -hmm. and you're going to be sitting here in like a beat up tracksuit in a gym that's flooding in a basement, you know, waiting for some athletes to come in. And when they came in, you wanted to like be the best strength coach the world has ever seen because you, you weren't in a position where the program could take any negativity. Right. You needed everyone who worked with you to be like, this guy was amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is something I think we should always do, yep. right? You should always be, whether it's, a, you know, a production or a photo shoot or a strength and conditioning session, it should always be like people walk away being like, wow, that person really took care of some problems. Like they took problems away. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of a long way of answering that question, but I definitely think that that's not knowing how much shit you're going to have to shovel and not having the responsibility. Like you're not really going to sink, mm-hmm. you know, like. If you go and get a good contract at the time and make fifteen hundred bucks in a couple of weeks, you're like, "Oh, we're good." Yeah, you know, months covered, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, I, I wonder how it is now because the way the financials of this city, of living in this city, have changed so drastically. Mm-hmm. I, I just like like we had a place in Yale Town at the time, and it was three of us, and it was a sub penthouse, like beautiful, like eighteen hundred square feet, but it was being rented cool. on the outside. So we, three guys paid 1800 bucks. I bet you that place is rented in like 6500 a month now. So I think one paid 450 I was talking to my old roommate about this wow. two days ago. One paid 450 I think I paid 550 And then the other guy with like the ball and room yeah. and like full-on suite paid like 700 Wow. It's hilarious, right? Yeah. Looking back on it, that's crazy. The, um, like the programming, like at the university. So you get there... Uh, you're dealing with a certain amount of teams, like a handful of teams. The amount of teams you're working with every year probably increases. Um, is there sort of like a structure or foundational base that you think all athletes need? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I was actually watching some strength coaches this morning and kind of thinking about some stuff and just kind of evolving my own training. But I was attracted to a few different things. I was attracted to traditional like Eastern Bloc weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So weightlifting is in Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. Um, and then I was also attracted to like, to American style powerlifting. Like Louis right. Simmons was a big, a guy that I always followed with his conjugate system and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there's so many discrepant, so many differences in between how the two things would, would work. Um, so for some, I would take away periodization. Like I didn't really squat like a powerlifter. I squatted like an Olympic weightlifter, right? Or like a weightlifter. And so... You know, I, I went, okay, what are what are the pros and cons of each system and how can we adapt that? Because as a football player, you don't need to look like a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. You need to perform like a freak. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to have your speed component, you're going to have your agility component, and then you're going to have your strength and, like, stability component. So I just broke everything down into a really simple base, which was what are the primary movements we need to do and what movements will be the the building blocks of everything we do. So I always broke it down into split squat or into squatting, hip hinging, anything split related. 
So that was like walking upstairs, lunges, running. Yeah. And then upper body was just push pull. Cool. Right. And then yep. that was kind of the foundation and push could be overhead or it could be linear, sorry, on a horizontal plane, same with pull. And that became really the base and, and you kind of develop different things with like, if you're working with an Olympic swimmer, mm-hmm. well, like hydrodynamics or, you know, you have exponential pushback on volume. Yeah. Right. So you needed to keep, we, well, we went on measurements sometimes more so than weight. So like if their waist or chest, if they got too broad, now they're pushing more water and there's all these dynamics. Right. Mm. But so that would be a different program than like, if I've got an O-line guy who they're yeah, like feeding so McDonald's and trying to get huge, which I'm not saying you should eat McDonald's, but no. I'm saying that happened, right? Yeah. Um, well, and, and yeah, we'll touch on that later. Yeah, I, yeah. That's an interesting one too. I feel like there's been a shift in terms of like how we're promoting nutrition and caloric intake. Because before I was being told like, you know, take that McFlurry, just have an extra McFlurry, have a McDouble. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a good short term it's a good short term, yeah. yeah. But it was also that classic, like you, you know, you, you're you're still involved in that, right? Where it's like stats on paper almost meant more sometimes going into a season. Like, yep. still does. Like it, it's super interesting to me. Football to me is it's two things that you almost never feel like American football. Obviously, the Canadians American football in my eyes. It's one you're probably like if you watch the NFL, you are seeing the biggest physical specimens on the planet. Yeah, you know, like. Like, the first three rounds of the NFL Combine could have been pro in how many sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also seeing, I think, the most violent sport in the world. Okay. And I don't think that's a negative. Like, I know there is huge negatives. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's huge problems with doing something that has such a short lifespan and that's so hard with concussions and, you know, post-concussion syndromes and, like, horrible things that are associated with that. But as someone who loves pure athleticism, like, there's nothing crazier than watching a modern-day running back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it be in the weight room or in a game, it's just, it's the, the things you see, like I was just down at the NFL combine shooting photos and, uh, you know, there was guys like, like there was, there was one athlete, you know, and, and, and he wasn't one of the top tier, but he was still an amazing athlete. Mm-hmm. I think he threw up 37 to 25. Yeah. He had like a 38 inch vert and he ran a four, four, nine. And I was like, <laughs> that is, yeah, like the amount of people else. on earth that can hold those. And also the timeline in your life that you can hold those kind of numbers is yeah. tiny, right? Like I, I, you know, except for a few freaks, when people go pro in football right before a like combine is usually their best numbers they'll ever have, yeah. right? You see a lot of guys that are huge in the NFL and they're like, I don't barbell bench press anymore. Or yeah. I got to protect my shoulders or I got to do whatever. Not to say barbell bench press is bad for your shoulders, but they go through some pretty crazy injuries, right? Well, it's also like, yeah, some of the things you train for, like the 40-yard dash, you're never really running 40 yards straight on the field, yeah. right? At most, it's like 30-yard bursts, unless it's like go route or something like that. And then like the weight room statistic, oftentimes you're training for the combine, you get bigger, you get stiffer, you fit the eye test, and then you come to your one-on-ones or your seven-on-sevens, and you can't move properly. 100%. And like, and you know, and then beyond that is like, you know, you see in so many of these sports, like, you know, who's considered right now the greatest football player ever to live? Tom. And maybe the worst, <laughs> the worst objective athlete yeah. in high level football ever, mm-hmm. but objectively, not subject, subjectively amazing. Yeah. But yeah, you do get this huge relying on physicality, which is insane. And unfortunately their contracts reflect that. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I signed 25 million. Well, you're guaranteed two. Yeah. 
Um, but that's a whole other conversation, right? But um, yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's very interesting. It's like as as the athletes get better and better, there's a more reliance on their mental. Like their physicality has to be there. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to have the pedal, but it's like it's almost like everyone has this crazy baseline physicality. And then you have these freaks, of course, like freaks among freaks. But yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And like, I always believed in a very holistic way of, or more so than a lot of like football programs, mm-hmm. you know, especially then. I think right now it's a totally different, but like people would rather have a shitty squat that was a bigger squat. Like the amount of like, I was notorious for being a very strict tester, and guys would yeah. not like it. I would get parents that came in, and you know, it was like the classic sports parent. My son can bench press. He's out of high school. Yeah. He's two seventy five. He can bench press. You know, he's doing twelve reps on the bench, and he's back squatting four seventy or three seventy five. You're like, okay, let's see this. That kid wouldn't even hit two twenty five under my scrutiny. Yeah, and they're they would be below three on their back squat, and I'm mm. testing in front of the parents. The parents are like, well, and I'm like. Listen, man, it doesn't do you any favors no. to inflate these numbers and improperly load your kid at this age. Yeah, their spine's fine, but they, they're going to be 30 one day. They're going to be 40 one day. They keep up these habits. That's long-term. Oh, it's long-term. Detriment. Yeah. It's huge. And, like, you know, you've, you've always been a guy that you've been able to kind of stay away from being labeled as a guy that can just push big weight. Mm-hmm. And that's been, you know, your longevity. Like, you're a healthy guy, right? Yeah. Like you've had your problems for sure, but you're a yeah. healthy athlete. And you're not going to be one of those people, or ideally not anyway, that when you're older, you're going to be able to move. Yeah. Like, imagine not being able to run with your kids. Mm-hmm. And I don't have kids, but Weird. I do think about that. Yeah. You know, I've got a little dog. Not a little dog. I've got a dog that's basically my personality now. And, like, we run every morning. Like, we ran before this. And yeah. it's like, I was like, what if I couldn't do this? Yeah. It'd suck. It's crazy to think about. I couldn't imagine. It's so interesting, man. It's like, you know, it's like everything swings. I think you go to, like... You know, I'll use this as a derogatory, but I don't think it always is. But you'll use like the meathead. You know, there was like the meathead area era, and then it swung too far into like every everyone used the functional movement. Yeah. Which you ended up with so much bullshit. You know, it was just the the problem was is people took it so far that you got athletes that just weren't fundamentally strong anymore. Yeah. Because they didn't. You know, as as much as back squatting isn't everything. Like I I, I had really big numbers for a while personally yeah. and. I remember having these conversations with people and they were like, well, you know, I, I do this, this contralateral overhead press with one foot on a BOSU ball. And I'm like, okay, how's your, they're they're like, the core is everything. And then I go, okay, well, I'm bench pressing over 400 pounds, push me over. And obviously you just ragged all that person because it's also, people don't understand, you know, like isometric contractions and holding these positions are so key too. So Mm -hmm. it was always, it was always very interesting to me to kind of see where like, it's just like a lot of things in life. People want to sit in a camp. They either want to be like the meat and potatoes camp or they want to be like, you know, the, the I don't lift anything over a 45-pound kettlebell camp. Yeah. Where but you need balance. Right? You need balance, right? It's like if, if you're going to if you're gonna be a 22-year-old trying to make it into the NFL and you're not back squatting, yeah. like it's going to suck when that guy who's got a 700-pound back squat hits you. Because yeah. his, there's few things that are going to brace your core like, you know, squatting a Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, it, it's quite interesting. And it's like, I think, I think with a lot of things, the more open you are to realizing that like, like 
I've worked with gymnasts to learn gymnastics techniques that I can take to football players or to track athletes, mm -hmm. you know, and then it's everyone is going to have their specialty. Like now you see it a lot more. Like I remember when I was doing like, you know, like a supine hollow body hold on the ground and that was mm -hmm. like, people were like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, no, no, just watch. Yeah. <laughs> there is utility to this, right? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's 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 an interesting one, and I think it's in a good place where there's where people are getting more and more educated, and it's being curated. I always worried that if all of these this information was released, like you know you thought like YouTube is just like open source, like there's gonna be all this bad shit coming out, and of yeah. course there is. But I think predominantly it's been absolutely amazing for education on so many things. Yeah, I think there's a need when you're you know, when you're exposing yourself on social media too to like fact check and make sure you're you know what you're talking about before you get scrutinized through the comments and all that. So it's kind of like a filter of some of the bullshit at least. For sure. Yeah. Like, and, and, and it's kind of cool. It's like, it's a double-edged sword because in one way, it's, in one way it's, you get the fact checking, but another way it's like, now everybody's a pro. Yeah. Which is like, as I, as I moved on in strength and conditioning, the amount of exercises I used went from like, probably the largest arsenal of exercises you could imagine someone using to yeah. like out of an athlete where other than some auxiliary, they'd be like, like how many exercises we do? Like, I don't know, like 12. I was like, exactly. Yeah. You do 12 things really well. You're going to be so much better off than the person that does a thousand things. Yeah. Because how are you going to be, you know, if you're touching on a drill every three months, like you're not going to be very good at it. Right. Yeah. And that's always why I loved working with sprints. I, I just, I love pure power things like that because, you know, like a 60, like, mm -hmm. or if let's, let's keep it at football, a 40. Yeah. There's no room for bullshit. Yeah. If you're the fastest guy in the 40, you're the fastest guy in the 40. And, you know, was, we did laser timing, we did video breakdown, we did all those things. And it was, it was such an interesting thing because if something worked, it worked. Mm -hmm. And I always love that expression. If it works, it would have worked. Yeah. Right. Or you're, or you're not applying it properly or applying yeah. it with enough with enough intensity or with enough volume. But, um, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Right. And like, you know, also people realizing a lot of what you guys do, which is the recovery side and how important recovery is and how important good nutrition is. And there's all these things going on right now. And the new, there's all these things going on in the nutritional side, which I think is super exciting mm -hmm. because like an easy one on this is, and sorry, I'm just, I'm just going no, on tangents, going. but if it. you guys are down, yeah, like an example is like, I've always eaten a ton of eggs. Mm -hmm. I love eggs. And like, if there was such a thing, I would be like, I'd work for big egg. If there was like a big pharma, but it was big egg, I'd be that guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I've got my guy in the interior who does like organic free range eggs. And I mm -hmm. go there and I drop like way too much money on eggs. Okay. <laughs> but it's, you know, there was a tack on them for a while where they were full of cholesterol and they are full of cholesterol, but they're full of high density lipoproteins, not low density. Yeah. So it's like, there's so all the these. Good, the good cholesterol. The good cholesterol. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and there's all these things that come out where people just pick a side and it's like, now you have like carnivore diet people and then you have vegans and then you have, and you know, my fiance is vegan and it's awesome. And I've been learning a lot about veganism and learning ways to, to really make it work. Yep. And just like every type of eating and living, there's pros and cons mm -hmm. if you like a like a pure veganism it's very challenging it's very challenging to get everything you need yeah. but it can also be very symbiotic with the world around you but then it can also be completely full of shit where instead of eating 
a grass-fed steak from Pemberton where that cow is free-range and grazing, mm-hmm. you're eating something that's got 14, 15 ingredients and they mowed down half of Brazil's rainforest in order to, to grow it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like... Beyond Meat or what, what have you. Yeah, and like not to speak on a specific brand because I think yeah. some of them are really, really good, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's one on the island that's really good. And I always forget about the two big boys, but one of them's full of like garbage and then the other one's I think primarily beans Pretty and clean. stuff, which is yeah. which I'm pretty down for. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see like, and I also think just the way everybody evolved is a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know, like if you grew up in a, in a, in a, in a place, if you're, you're rather your ancestors where they ate X, then they can do that. Like I've, you know, I've read stuff about indigenous people that can eat massive amounts of like whale blubber. Mm. Well, if I did that, I would, my body, my body wouldn't know what to do with it. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's, and that's obviously an extreme example of that but you know my ancestors are european and they ate a lot of like dairy and things like that and that i don't really drink dairy anymore obviously also because like the majority of the dairy industry is pretty disgusting operation Mm -hmm. but my body did really well yeah like if you weren't worried about like long term and someone's like what's the best like i want to be i want to be a freak for three years i'll be like dairy yeah unfortunately (laughs) but you know because the scrutiny is that like it's super inflammatory right but for some people like you're saying based on your genetics like you may be able to break that down a lot better than others or the inflammatory issues may not present themselves till way down the road yeah which i think is probably realistic for most people you know and that's the reason i got off dairy because and you know i still certain times like if i'm in a proper italian cafe and they've got you know yeah like I'll, i'll let them make it the way they make it or if you're traveling in Europe and you're you're gonna eat this beautiful French cheese, like I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Yep. But day to day, you know, you do what you can. You do oat milk and that. It's it's a funny state we live in, though, isn't it? Because our lives are so luxurious, even though we're not rich people, even though we're not considered, you know, yeah. quotations rich. We're not Avocado driving on oat milk, and yeah, we're still like we're still the, the standard of life is so high now that that we. Like, you know, I'm bragging about how I drink oat milk and my coffees to yep. save the world. Like, yep. how full of shit is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. You know, it's funny, but, right? Yeah. But you got to do what you can anyway. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's an interesting one on nutrition. Sorry, I went on kind of a tangent there. No, but. I, I, I love it. Um, what, what I was thinking about is just in terms of, like, your passion for photography and, like, kind of when, when that started. I know... Uh, you, you participate in a lot of sports. You said you had like your 60 acres back home. That's got to inspire a level of creativity, you know, being in like an extreme sport on your own. Maybe there's like an editorial component or, or, or what have you that would kind of, you know, allow you to see a position where, okay, I'm going to pivot into a completely new avenue. Yeah, you know, it was kind of interesting. I, I always bought cameras and then sold them like throughout my 20s. And I would always like own a camera and then get rid of it and be like, oh yeah, like I used it for like four months, like crazy or filmed some little videos and edited them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or had like a film camera and took some shots and got rid of it. And I've, I've always gone through these like minimal state, min- minimalist stages where I would get rid of like everything I own mm. and just think it was the greatest thing. And I still, mm. if I, if I wasn't, if I was a living a different world or a different life, I, I really do like the minimalist life. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, now but, there's a little bit more invested in those cameras. So yeah. Well, now it's huge investment in those cameras. <laughs> now it's, yeah. And so, and, and I do, I'm also a, a, a big nerd. Like I love metrics, you know, Yeah. which is very unsexy to most people, but 
so, you know, kind of in my, you know, I was, what was I, 27 maybe is when I really started buying, like, I got my first, like, camera that you can really do some pro-level stuff on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, actually, a derivative of that guy right there. But um, it was it was funny because, you know, you start, I just started shooting everything. And I love traveling, too. So all of a sudden, like, I used to travel and not even take a cell phone. And this is when people use cell phones. I was, like, the guy who traveled with, like, like I remember I went traveling in Asia and didn't bring a cell phone. I brought one book and I brought a 25-liter carry-on backpack. <laughs> and that was, like, the shit I did. I just thought it was the greatest. But then, um, yeah, so I, I really started shooting a lot. And, and the beautiful thing about starting anything is you're horrible at it. But yeah. you progress so quickly. Like, I always, I always had this motto where it's, like, mantra rather where it's like oh we suck at something Mm. because one it humbles you so in that realm you're not trying to flex on anybody because you know you suck unless you're completely aren't self-aware yeah and then on the other you you constantly create these gains right Mm. like you could double your skill level you might still suck but you're like i just got twice as good that's pretty cool um so that kind of progressed and i started doing some small photo jobs and then i started producing some stuff um and i produced a a documentary on an amazing uh, cyclist, Kelly Jablonski, and we went to Europe, and that was kind of the first bigger thing that I produced, and that allowed, you know, the thought, like, it wasn't, like, a financially big thing for me at all, yeah, because I just wanted to make it awesome, so all the money just went into the project, but it was, like, traveling around Europe, filming this world-class cyclist, telling his story, you know, yeah, building cool. a team, like, shout out to Brian Cassie, who, who was the the primary DP and the director on that project. Cause that was amazing. Like him and I had one of the best experiences in my life working on that. And, and then it kind of, you know, spitballed, like I shot a lot of photos on that trip for the project. So then all of a sudden I'm working with brands on the photos and it just, mm-hmm. it just spitballs. Right. And then, um, because, you know, compound put me in a, a, a decent financial situation. I was able to like focus on other things and, yeah, and photography just kept growing and growing. And then I was brought into a studio with uh, friends of mine at Peeled Media that were awesome and, you know, created some space at that studio for me, the studio I'm still at. And so it 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 was interesting because I always wanted to figure out, like I always liked the technical side. And, you know, a mentor of mine basically said, the hardest thing to do is to shoot somebody with no subject and nothing natural. So essentially, like, a subject in a studio is one of the hardest things you can do to learn mm-hmm. how to shoot photography because see that. there's no beautiful trees, there's no sunset. Yeah. You've got to create everything that's there. So I got really obsessed with studio photography, mm-hmm. and that's become a big part of what I am as a photographer, and I love it. I love the the technicality of it. I love I love that it's it's something that's almost so unnatural. Like to 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 relate to what you said before about growing up on a farm, it's like I had this push where I wanted to shoot stuff that wasn't natural because I was always in nature. Yeah, like interesting. I would go hike for four hours and then come back and want to be in a studio and shoot something that looks like it was shot on Mars. Yeah, just super random. But and now kind of things are evolving more for me where it's it's a lot of you know I primarily shoot portraiture and campaign work that's a lot of like where on a professional level where it comes where it works for me mm-hmm. and more and more I, I like taking the technicality of a of a studio of shoot and bring that into a location yeah which originally it started being very technical where you'd have tons of grip gear and tons of things going on and bigger teams and and there was a really good quote by a, a famous dp and i forget his name right now but it'll come to me he passed a few years ago 
but they said his big uh his big life regret regret was that he started with 100 lights and only got down to 10 he said he never got to one light mm. you know where it's like and so i i like that mentality i really really dig into where now like can I use a neg and a bounce and, and one light in a perfect position? Can I create something like that? Which I, which I really liked. I used to shoot with seven lights and then I pulled it back to two, you know? And I also really like, I like the fact that it's so subjective, which is so strange to me because with strength and conditioning, it was, or is, I was always really good at getting objective results. Yeah. So I would sit down with a coach sometimes and even if they didn't prefer my process, I gave them the results plus some that they wanted. Yeah. Right. Which is, it always gives you leverage. Totally. You know, there's been coaches that I've had great working relationships with that we didn't see eye to eye on process, but we had a respect for each other and it allowed us to work freely and create some really great things. And eventually you work like that and you just start respecting the other person's process so much that you let each other work. Well, yeah. it was never really my, my thing to let them work, but they would let me work. Right. Yeah. Um, but photography is such a weird thing because it's so subjective. Yeah. Like, yeah, there is the objective metrics. There is creating something that's a technically sound image, but some of the greatest images taken ever aren't, aren't objectively sound images, right? So that's always been an interesting thing for me, and that's been like a really weird mental process to digest because I'm such a like objective thinker at times. Yeah. You know, like I'll look at it. Like I'm the kind of guy that you can, you know, clients have brought me images they've done for a campaign and they go, can you reproduce this exact look? We don't have any BTS. We don't know the structure. We don't, the photographer we don't work with anymore. We don't know where they are. We gotta, and so I've been the guy. the photo. I can just look at the photo and, and, and just build it. Huh. And I really enjoy that. And that's like the nerd side of me. Yeah. Um, but then what, what happens is like, I think there's kind of two ways people go with anything like this. And I was really technically good before I actually took images that were worth looking at. So I was, I would sit down with guys that were amazing photographers and I might know, I might have a better understanding of how to set up a really good studio shoot, but my studio photos weren't good. You know what I mean? I could just set it up and make the lighting, but I didn't know how to interact. I didn't know how to pose. I didn't know. Yeah. It's like in photography, the greatest things are the non-tangibles, which, and you, you see that with a lot of, you know, projects now with, with cinematography too. You see these occasional things come out. Like an easy one is like the Blair Rich project. What was the budget on that? Like under a hundred grand. I think it was like absurdly low. Mm. And that's an amazing piece of cinema. Like look what it did. Yeah. And obviously you have things on the other side where people have massive budgets and do amazing things. Also like Dune or something like that, where it's like everything works. There's the technical and there's the artistic. Mm. It's all the touches, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting journey and it's, I find it mentally very challenging at times. Very challenging. Just again, because you can't just go, no, 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 but he ran the fastest. Like in strength and conditioning, they go, what do you think? I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I got all the metrics I said I was going to hit, we hit, and then some. So now we're going to set a national record. Yeah. Done. But now it's like, oh, I don't know if I like the colors of the, you know, I don't know if I like the grading. I don't know if I like what my hands are. It's so much different. It's yeah. so much different, which is also amazing because it puts you in a position where it cuts your ego down. Mm-hmm. I got so much success in, you know, not necessarily financial success, but I got a lot of credibility very early on in my life because of the things I was able to accomplish and it builds this person inside of you and then you now go to a new thing where you're like a nobody Mm -hmm. and it's pretty damn cool and I think that's a really good lesson for me is to like or everybody it's like 
just it just takes you down a peg just takes you down a peg yeah. and then you get better and better and you start getting bigger and bigger jobs and i've you know been really fortunate to work on some some pretty spectacular you know some pretty spectacular shoots and, yeah. and do some things that like you know in a lot of ways i think i got to a level a lot quicker than a lot of people did not that that should matter yeah. Because then there's always the phenoms that do it in a week or <laughs> whatever, right? Well, yeah, I, I would agree from, like, my observations. I've seen that, too, is, like, you kind of pivoting into a new space and getting, like, really good clients in a very short amount of time. There's there's parallels between, like, you at 25 going to, like, an athletic department at UBC and kind of taking over that space. And I, I think it's it's the same kind of vibe here. And, like, it, it, can you speak to, like, you know, the hustle and bustle of, like, getting clients in that new space? Yeah, like it, it's it's really interesting because the whole world's changed so much in the last, you know, I'm, I'm 37 now, so that's 12 years difference. And 12 years didn't used to be a big amount of time as far as how the world works. Yeah. But now you see a lot of people that if you're looking at a photographer that was my age then, it's like social media, it's this whole new community, mm-hmm. which to be honest, that's not my strength. And I did for a while put a lot of weight on that. I did for a while put a lot of weight on social media and and those avenues. And now I've pulled back so aggressively. Like my Instagram and all that stuff is very like, it's so low on my priority list. It should probably be higher, Mm -hmm. but it's not high up. It's more just like, hey guys, I'm still alive. But it's inter for me and and everyone's different. It's interpersonal skills for me. Yeah. It's like, I think there's really something to be said for someone who can look you in the eyes and give you a handshake and talk about what you need. Because for the most part, clients are paying for a result. Yeah. You know, like when when you look at photography or, you know, cinematography or whatever, you're creating a commercial, you're creating a full a full set of deliverables for a client. Maybe I'm bringing on a director and I'm bringing on a DP and, you know, I'm shooting stills and whatever. It's these clients aren't generally like if they're, let's say they're a clothing, clothing manufacturer. Mm-hmm. They want something that is going to speak about who they are. And make them look good. Yeah. And they need that done for ideally less money than they want, than, than, than you're going to want to charge. Yep. And they want it yesterday. And that's kind of the nature of now. And I feel like if you can start helping people create solutions, then you can really do good things in most industries. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was an interesting thing for me because originally I came in with a bit of an ego. And that's kind of, you know, if anything, my ego has been my shortcoming in life. Mm-hmm. It's also been like my biggest thing because I I can go into a room and not know how outgunned I am. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But yeah. And it was important for me to pull back and go, Oh, they don't care that I just shot for so-and-so. Yeah. Oh, they don't care that I'm working on this really crazy project. They need their company to sell this many pairs of whatever in the next six months, or they're not going to have money fulfill their next set of orders. Mm -hmm. And the moment I think you start looking at that and, and going, how can I create solutions? And going back to what I did in strength and conditioning and, re- and realizing the fundamentals is yeah. I was able to create solutions. Yeah. If you can be that person that creates solutions for a company, then they're going to want to work with you. And, you know, I think there's a few key things that really help with that. You know, caring about your client, investing in who they are and what their brand is and what their team's all about. And taking you out of the equation. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just like, it's like dating. It's yeah. like. What's the best way for someone to have a good date? Take them to a cool spot and don't talk about yourself. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's it's it's not that hard. But 
good point. It's a simple concept, but it's for some for some of us, it's like as I'm talking about myself for like an hour. Yeah. But <laughs> right now, but it's uh, it's yeah, it's 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 really interesting, and I have to keep reminding me myself on those things. Right. Yeah. It's like, and when we all go through peaks and valleys, man, it's like. Some days I feel like I'm killing it and unstoppable. And then other days I'm like, oh, I haven't really talked to a client in a minute. And I think we all go through that. But yeah. but on social media is we're all releasing stuff on these dates that it's like, you're like, oh, man. Is, He's working all the time. Yeah. Is this guy working that much? Yeah. Oh, no. They, they did like four really cool jobs in two months. And now they've got a couple months off. And that's kind of the nature of the industry anyway. Totally. And I find the higher up you go, the less jobs you do. But the more goes into each job and the more payment comes from the job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to kind of wrap up like that a really long-winded answer i just really believe that giving a shit about your client more than yourself is really important Mm -hmm. because a lot of times i think once you get to a certain level with things these you really only need 30 percent of your skill set or 40 percent of your skill set that is what's going to make your client happy Mm -hmm. not something that's so blown up and so unnecessary for them that they're like paying more than they need they're taking too long the, the message convoluted yeah, uh, what's what's that saying? People don't remember what you do; they remember how they feel, mm. right? And that's kind of what marketing is too, right? Yeah, it's it's very much on on that like, and you're seeing so many small little studios pop up that do smaller scaled things really really well that work for brands. Yeah, and you still do have these massive clients that want these these huge jobs and these big extravagant things, but you know having a lot of friends in that industry and you know that are always working in that realm like it's a very interesting realm it's kind of like reminds me of working with ubc yeah where you'd be like okay so we need to get some new bumper plates and they're like okay let me make 17 phone calls mm-hmm. rather than being like let's just buy bumper, bumper plates, plates. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're at four million dollar endowment let's just buy some bumper plates let's mm-hmm. spend a thousand bucks yeah and yeah sometimes it's like you, you have so many people in the kitchen and sometimes it really really works but also sometimes it's like Sometimes you look at these projects or a part of these projects and you're like, man, if we would have had like a four person crew, this would have been way better. <laughs> yeah. Not always, of course. And, and more often than not, it, it's better. These big projects turn out so amazing. But it's, it's interesting to look back. You talk about being metrics driven. And I think, you know, in the strength and conditioning space, it's very like objective. Like you said, uh, I have my metrics, I have a feedback loop. Regardless of whether you know my client doesn't like my process or not, here's the end result. This is what you got. This is what you asked for. It's easy to maintain that like healthy relationship. In this space, it's a little bit more subjective. But what the um, the metrics help you do is know exactly what they want from like the analytical and like logistics perspective. So now I get to add like that gym deal sauce to the end, and it's you know constant like never ending improvement. I like I really like that. Yeah, and it's like I, I really feel that in this industry, and maybe he, he can probably attest this too. Doesn't have a mic, but it's like yeah. for me the ultimate goal take away like financials. The ultimate goal is to be someone that gets hired for your look and your vision, mm-hmm. and that is the dream. Right. And some people don't want big projects. Yeah. Some people do. Right. There's all like I have some people that are just obsessed with getting the biggest, biggest project. And maybe I'm sometimes that guy, but I'm also, you know, everyone's just different. But I think if ultimately you're hired for the things you want to do the way you want to do them. Yeah. What's cooler than that? No, that's dope. You know, and like so it's 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 pretty cool because. It's also this like feast or famine mentality when, when you really realize that there's more than enough for everyone to go around, mm-hmm. especially like the amount of the amount of media 
whether it be photography or video or whatever that needs to be created now is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. I like there's, there's brands that need three photo shoots a month, right? Like, and then there's some that want two a year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I find that all really interesting and you go back like, yeah, if you are hired for your, your, your secret sauce, as you put it, it's like, that's amazing. That's the feeling, right? And you don't get that as often as you'd like, but when you do get it, you're like, yeah, and the client's just stoked. Mm-hmm. And you get like, once in a while you have that where you you do what you wanted to do, you know, obviously they approve it and you you, you create the whole process around it and they sign off on every part of it. But after, you know, and you, I've had a few of those where you get it and they sign off, there's no revisions. They're like, this is what we wanted. And you're like, yes. Yes. And then you go into another shoot and they're like, this isn't what we wanted. And you're like, okay, this mm-hmm. is my ego kicked out again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also I have some... I have some amazing friends around me that are just so talented. Like, like where we live is absolutely insane. Like if you want to feel like you're not very good in this industry, mm-hmm. Vancouver is a really good place to be because there's so many good photographers. There's so many good DPs. There's so many good directors. There's so many good houses. Like, and you don't realize it until you start just asking around. But you know, one of my close friends, every time he does a shoot, I make a joke that I throw my camera in the garbage. Because mm. I just look and I'm like, well, that's uh, I'm out. <laughs> and then once in a while, you you run into someone who doesn't shoot photos and they ask to borrow your camera, and then you're going through your camera after, and the best photos in there are the person who's never been, you know like. There's always those crazy talents. I, yeah. I listened to someone say that the other day. It's like there's probably someone who beat Michael Jordan but just didn't like basketball and quit. Yeah. Right at a young age, and I was like, ah, eh. and that could have been like the greatest person at X who mm-hmm. ever lived. So. I also think like talent means less than it's ever meant, mm-hmm. you know, with the amount of resources we had, like think about sprinting, think about like the old days of those things. I was watching something on uh, Caitlyn Jenner and, you know, the early days of track. Like I didn't know about Bruce's accomplishments. I didn't know about all yeah. that, but you watch, you know, Bruce train and it's like, there was no coach. Yeah. It was him and a workout buddy. Like, mm-hmm just hauling ass on the track. Yeah. Like, it was hilarious. Like, imagine now there'd be, like, way well, more structure. they'd have a tablet on the track and cameras and, like, so it's just so much different, which is almost, like, it's cool to look at those old photographers, like, yeah. old Annie Leibovitz stuff, who's probably my favorite all-time photographer, and, like, look at her stuff of how, like, by technical standards, a lot of it wasn't great. Yeah. But it was, like, you look at, but you don't even think of that when you look at the image because it's so powerful because her ability to to connect with a subject and create something unique was just like mind blowing, you know, concepts now, which, which everyone's ripped off. So it's like, if, if someone didn't know who she was, they might just see it and be like, Oh, they did that Generic. thing that my buddy did on Instagram. Yeah. But she's the pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Right. Um, you know, in your, in your journey, let's say like strength conditioning wise, like who's a mentor to you and who you kind of like look up to in that space. You know, it was, it was interesting because my, a lot of the people that I looked up to were like workout partners. Like, Mm. so like I grew up, my dad was a doctor. I always had anatomy books and all these things kicking around. He had all the Mm. old Arnold, like Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia of training. Cool. Which is still the coolest book, right? It's so ridiculous, but home gym, home gym. Nice. Um, yeah, so, like, you know, like, I was, like, trying to bench press when I was four years old. Like, my dad would get down there, we'd blast Guns N' Roses, and I'd do, like, a couple sets of bench and then go eat, like, 
dinner, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but I didn't really get into lifting weights, I think, till high school. I was like 14 or 15. And at the time, I lived with my mom, and we had like a, so not the place I grew up in, but we had like a cool spot, and it allowed me to have, we had like an old barn, and in that barn, I put like a weight room, just like super generic. It was like a two-by-four was the pull-up bar. I had a bench. I had a couple dumbbells. I had a heavy bag, speed bag, skip rope, mm. and that was like it. And to be honest, if you need more than that, you're blowing it anyway. Yeah, I was going to say. Right? Like, the rest is just to cure boredom. Yeah. And, yeah, and I just loved it. And, and it was really hard to find information. So, like, I had, like, a huge Arnold stage. And then I had a huge, like, Franco Combo stage. And then I was, like, obsessed with Bruce Lee for a while. And cool. then, you know, like, Tyson, he's probably still, to me, like, one of the most interesting athletes ever. Mm-hmm. Like, Tyson's probably still my favorite athlete ever. Cool. Um. Just, I think, strictly because, too, like, very few, there's been very few people that have been that physical rel- relative to their counterparts. Mm. Like, it's like, I guess the equivalent would be like a Bo Jackson or something, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, I just, I just love that raw physicality. But, and then it was, you know, as you get older, you start meeting so many people, like, you know, working under Pete and learning their paradigm and then liking some things and not liking others. Because there's no, nothing perfect, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's so many great people in Vancouver that were pioneers. Like at the time it was kind of twist conditioning and level 10 and they both did amazing things in their own way. Yeah. Um, and then I would go to the States and I would meet with these div one strength coaches, which was a really cool experience. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, and this was old school at the time too. I don't, it wasn't that long ago, but it still was a different world. Right. Totally. And there was a lot of it that turned me off about that because it was like this disposable mindset toward athletes. I remember a coach mm. saying, and I won't use names because, you know, someone who deserves a ton of respect. But they were talking about injuries and they said, uh, yeah, you know, if an athlete gets injured lifting in here, there's 10 more behind them. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that works with the way I think. Athletes as assets. And- yeah. Like products. I just, I think anytime as you look at people as disposable, it's... Even if you don't care about people, mm-hmm. even if you're, you know, totally void of that emotion, I just don't think it leads to good outcomes. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's the way to win. I don't think, you know, like, even if you don't care about someone losing their livelihood and getting yeah. kicked out of a university because they love it, which if you don't, you're a psychopath. But it's, yeah, I just, I just didn't make any sense to me because also like, and you, you can probably uh, attest to this. I didn't really, I cared about physicality so much more than the sport. Yeah. Like I was, I remember like the football staff, uh, who was assistant coach at the time, really nice guy, but he was like, Hey Jim, you catch the game last night? And I was like, no, yeah. it was like, it was like 630 AM on Monday. I was like, no, he's like, what do you mean? What were you doing? I was like, I was working out. Yeah. <laughs> like if I watch someone else doing an amazing sport, I'm just going to go want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not going to sit there and be like, Oh yeah, he's running the football. I'm going to go to be like, I'm going to go to the track and go run. Yeah. Go do some sets or whatever. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like in like the strength and conditioning realm, at that time it was more like there was these mystical characters like the Bruce Lees, like the Arnolds, like mm-hmm. you know, where it's like it was almost cooler when you didn't learn about what people really were. Yeah. It's like never meet your heroes because everyone's kind of full of shit. Yeah. Right. And it, it was just cool because you would just like you'd read these things or see these things, and it was like everything just felt so like. It, it felt so like mystical, like almost like biblical, like I'm not a religious person, but you yeah. know, it's like, I can probably, that's probably how people feel about that yep. where it's like, 
But if you would have met some of these people when they were alive, you'd probably be like, oh, damn, that's yeah. it, eh? <laughs> the person I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, and there's a, definitely a couple letdowns, like, one of the, yeah, the never meet your heroes thing, they say. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I think we're at a, I think we're at a really good time now. I think, I think having all this accountability is really amazing. I also feel like there's this point where it's like you have to push your body you know, when I was talking about earlier about like how people wanted to do so much what they called functional training that they never actually, it never actually created anything worth having. And I meant that in like the absolute sense for like an athlete. Yeah. And, and I've spoken about this when I, I used to do a lot of public speaking about strength and conditioning. And it was, you know, people go like, well, isn't this exercise hard in the athlete long term? And I go, yeah, but if you don't train like this, you kind of got to step down and let somebody in, in who's going to. Yeah. Because if you're in high level athletics for health, you don't understand what you're getting yourself into. Correct. Like, there's nothing healthy about football. No. Well, there's some things, of course, but Mentally, the overall maybe. outcome. Like, yeah, like physically. No one steps out of the NFL and goes, wow, that's like the best thing I could have done for my physical health, Correct. right? Yeah. Yeah. What about, on that note, like, what about recovery for yourself? Like, how has your recovery, like, changed maybe from, like, you know, high school gym to now? Like, what kind of things are you practicing? It's interesting because I'm... I'm horrible with recovery. I've yeah. been trying to take weekends off, you know, off lifting just because obviously it's, it's so important. So I used to do like when I was the, the, the objectively strongest I was not necessarily the physically healthiest, but the objectively strongest, I was doing a lot of like Louis Simpson, like West side barbell conjugate systems and my own mm-hmm. derivative of that. And I would do a Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday, Friday. Okay. And I would still be active. Like I'd cycle and hike and do other things around that. But that was when I picked up barbells and, you know, I'd throw some yoga in there, throw some other things. And I think something like that is very, very healthy. Now, the difference is, is a lot of people's goals aren't absolutes. Like, I think if you're training for absolutes, it's, it's, you need to push yourself so hard that you create so, such a a deficit within yourself that your body has to grow and adapt to it. Right. There's more to it than that, but. You know, I, I do really think that if you're able to push yourself to such extremes, then you are going to see a, a ton of growth as long as your body can handle it. Yeah. And past a certain age, it's really hard. Like, even in your 30s, it's really hard for people to train with so much intensity. Yeah. Like, can you be a 40-year-old lawyer but not be able to walk on Tuesday? Yeah. Like, you know, like, when you do, you know, when you do 30 sets of squats and you're hitting 225 for sets of 20 to finish off your squat day on back yeah. squats, it's like... Jeez. that's not good for you but it works yeah right um so now i'm doing i'm incorporating a lot more you know like pseudo gymnastics work like parallettes work and rings work and okay. stuff like that so cool. that allows me to add more stuff and, and take less time off so right now i'm trying to take the weekends off and then lift five days on two days off mm-hmm. which i really like but if it's someone if someone came to me like or when they do come to me and they're let's say you're a 48 year old you know, driven individual, but you're not in the shape you want to be in. Yeah. For those people, I always advocate less more often. Always, always, always. Like for those people, these these monster workouts, like three three days a week even, I'm like, no, no, no. Every day, do something. Yeah. And because of people's relative level, it might be going for a 40-minute walk. Might be like, get up in the morning, make a coffee, go walk for 40 minutes. It might only be three kilometers, two kilometers. Just mm-hmm. go walk. Just go that... You know, it's kind of like the higher your output is, the more detriment you can do in a session 
before you hit that timeline of diminishing returns within that session, but then the more time you need to rest. Mm. So like, I think longevity is really, is really in that work out more often with less intensity. Yeah. Higher volume, less intensity. Yeah. yeah. Not, 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 necessarily volume. not necessarily volume, yeah. but like, you know, just always, always working on those things. Like I'll find like, I need to work out for mental health. Yeah. Like that's where I, that's where I find that, that sweet spot. And if I don't, like, I really like, you know, I've never had, or I don't think I've had like the kind of lows that some people, you know, you see having, you never know how low people actually get, but yeah. Um, but it's like, for me, like working out's everything for that. So it's like, sometimes it's really, oh, excuse me. It's really hard, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a weekend off, man. I had a tough week. I can't just take Saturday off working out. Yeah. Like, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> I feel that. So you find stuff, but also having a dog is pretty cool with that. Yeah. Because it's like, even just little things, like I got back into like long distance-ish running, mm-hmm. like not legitly, like I'm not, you know, but, you know, throwing out 10Ks here and there and I get up every morning and she's young still, so you're not supposed to run too much. So we do like a kilometer to the park. So we like go as fast as we can for a K and then mm-hmm. play at the park and then K back. And it's like... Is that off the leash? On the leash and then yeah. off the leash in the park. But I hike... She's really good off the leash. It's just Vancouver is a very particular place about things. Vancouver's yep. very, to me, like strict. Yep. And um, and also like my dog's like a lot like me, which is like a little bit crazy and a little bit reckless, like when you want to have fun. So like I always worry about like the expensive designer dog with the person that hasn't actually trained them mm-hmm. and my dog like wrestling it to the ground and then that person freaks out. <laughs> Like Olive, shout out to Olive, by the way, she's the best yeah. dog. But shout out to Olive. Shout out to Olive. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it, it's really interesting though. Like that's, um, like I took her up the Chief the other day and it was like, I was, cause she's not that old. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is going to be like, this is going to destroy her. She sprinted up the Chief, like stayed with me the whole time. She's really well trained on that. Went down. I was like, sweet. Rest of the day is mine. Went down. She was just doing laps in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> you're like come on man unlimited we, motor we took we took maybe 30 seconds of total breaks up the chief wow motoring not not jogging but like the step below jog you know when you're like going yeah and i was like holy shit this is hilarious this is what it's like to be around me Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah it's pretty funny um just a couple questions in closing these are like check in or check out questions i guess okay. um the first being like if we were at your house what would I find that I wouldn't typically find at others? A little invasive. No, no, no. That's cool. Um, you're always going to find a lot of cameras. Mm. And you're always going to find, like, workout gear. Like, I don't really work out at home very often because I have a gym downtown. And then I also – I'll go to the gym on the North Shore just so I don't have to go downtown when I want to work out. Yeah. But I always have parallettes, rings, pull-up bar couple light dumbbells couple kettlebells and then i have a barbell set cool. with like 205 bumper plates nice. so it's like kind of a little much <laughs> for a guy that doesn't work out at home that's yeah like, <laughs> yeah it's a lot of stuff so stuff. like yeah but it's, it's nice right so i'd say that's probably that's probably the main thing cool um the next is like a message to your younger self so like obviously you've had a journey um would you change anything or just kind of words of motivation what would it be i would say the best thing, and I feel like I did this to a big degree for the most important growth periods of my life, but I, I wish I would have spent more time being around more types of people. Mm. And I think, I think the more time you spend around people that aren't like you, 
the more, because we all have value and we all have opinions that make sense. And like, you know, like I would have, I wish I would have been shooting, trying to shoot photos professionally when I was 20. Yeah. You know, and, but I just, you know, I was in, you know, at that time I was in a little more like alpha male type mind state and it just wasn't on my radar, you know? Yep. So I think just really being open to being around everybody is, is something that I, I think I did a decent job at, but I, I always push myself to remember that. Like if you look at around the room and you're all, everyone's dressed the same and talking the same, you got to get the hell out of that room. Mm. And that's, that's, a bar. That, that's kind of my thing. I know maybe more people don't agree on that, but that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. No, I think that's super important. Um, the last one is if you could live inside of any movie, what would it be and why? Oh, damn. I love movies so yeah. much. I spend a lot of time watching movies. Um, it's a hard one because all the movies that like I think would be awesome are like horrible times to be alive. Yeah, <laughs> like you yeah, want to yeah. you want to be that like protagonist badass person that like kicks ass and takes care of everything. Yeah. But you're in Gotham or something. Oh man. It's not the safest. I would say like as far as like aesthetics and cool like Blade Runner. Mm. Although that is a horrible answer because yeah. all of the main characters are just like having the worst time ever. Yeah. <laughs> It's an interesting environment. But as far as like aesthetic and like cool factor, like those movies never get old for me. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think there's a lot of information for like, you know, the young aspiring entrepreneurs, the fitness trainers, uh, a lot of things to just kind of take from your journey and uh, all the best for, you know, continued success producing and for 